It's my great joy to welcome you to City Reach LA this morning. My name is Josh Houston. I'm the lead pastor here. How many dads do we have in the room? Yeah, all right, that's good. Happy Father's Day, dads. I was thinking a little this, this week about the importance of uh, like just dads, of fathers in a fatherless culture. <laughs> okay, I will, Sean Bell. <laughs> wow. I like it. You know, studies show that one-third of, of kids growing up in America do so without their biological father in the home. And that fact heightens their risk of crime involvement and teen pregnancy and obesity and drug and alcohol abuse. Kids need their dads. Kids need their dads more than they need fancy houses, more than they need a bunch of toys. Kids need their fathers. And uh, as men, we're tempted to root our identity primarily in our ability to provide and our ability to work and to produce to believe that our, our greatest contribution to the world um, will be what we, what we create at work. Um, especially in L.A., right, in a, in a hurried, anxious, workaholic culture. But it's off. It's off. You know, firstly, the, the male gender is not the gender that produces and provides and creates. And if you disagree, thank you. If you disagree, come hang out with my wife for a day. She's awesome. And secondly, the greatest contribution, dads, the, the greatest contribution you can make to the world is how you father your kids. It is. Uh, we have a sign-up at our house it's a quote from Mother Teresa that says, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. It's just a good reminder for us, you know. I believe the greatest work you can give yourself to is to be present to your family, to be gentle and joyful and gracious and adventurous and compassionate and constant with your kids. So dads, today, as you are celebrated and as you're honored, remind yourselves that this day is not to applaud you that you produced a human being. This day is to commend your involvement in your kid's life. It's to honor, that you, not that you have children, but, but who you are to your children. So with that, I pray an extra portion of grace upon you men um, to be fathers, to be fathers to our kids. Amen? Amen? All right, so to inform or remind anybody listening on Facebook or on our podcast, this is our second Sunday at Roosevelt Elementary. It's a nice space, yes? Mike Bear walked in and was like, it's the same and not. Right? There's like, there's a weird, um, it looks like it, and it doesn't at, our, at, 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 at uh, McKinley Elementary. So it's good. There's a familiarity, I think, which is good, but it's also, it's a little cleaner in here too, right? Just like it looks a little bit nicer. I just, and there's not the creepy pictures on the walls and stuff, right? So we'll be, <laughs> misspelled some of them too. You guys are going to be like, oh, which one is it? In a couple of months, go check. Uh, so we'll be here for the next couple of months. If you show up at McKinley Elementary, we won't be there. Uh, we're currently in a two-month sermon series called Jesus the Storyteller. We're talking about storytelling, how much we're captivated by story. Um, but that storytelling is not unique to L.A. It's not even unique to our time. Uh, storytelling and story has enamored tribes and cultures for thousands of years, and it's, it's done so because story is part of the human experience. Uh, stories move our soul. They open us to new perspectives. They cause us to grow. They cause us to evolve. And I think many people don't realize that Jesus was a storyteller and how much of a storyteller he was and how much he involved story in his teaching style and that one of his favorite kinds of stories were parables. Um, and I touched a little on parables over the last couple of weeks, so I encourage you to go back and listen to the messages if you missed them. In short, we miss the point of parables if we miss the nature of parables. Uh, 
So parables aren't metaphors to help us grasp these confusing God concepts. Jesus' parables were riddles. They were these puzzles that invited the listener into a new way of life. Jesus, with parables, he's drawing a line in the sand and he's saying, pick your side. If you're intrigued, let's take a walk. If you're frustrated over my story, have a nice day. Jesus' parables were odd. They were confusing. There were these mystery stories aimed at instigating the crowd. And that's what you'll see as we continue moving forward through this series. Um, Some of these stories, they appear nice. They appear cute on the surface. But as we dig into them, we'll see that in the ears of his first century Jewish Jewish listeners, he often aroused this frustration, this irritation, a bewilderment, even anger with him. Two weeks ago, I preached on the lost coin. Last week, I preached on the mustard weed. And today, I want to preach, preach a message entitled, The Audacious Father. I figure Father's Day is a perfect excuse to retell the story of the prodigal son. And here's my goal today. My hope is that you would understand the heart of the father in 25 minutes more than you do right now. Just a little bit more than you do right now. If you brought your Bible or your Bible app on your smartphone, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you want to get more into the parables, Luke is the, is the book for it. Luke 15. Uh, this, this parable is one of Jesus' more recognizable, one of his more famous, but I hope to represent it to you today in a light that maybe you haven't seen before. So this is Luke 15. I'm going to start in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. 
My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost. He's found. Abba, I just pray that your heart would descend on us today and that we would receive from you all that you have for us. Amen. There's a lot going on here, so I want to walk you through it. Um, We've got, I'm just going to retell the story. We've got a fairly wealthy father with two sons, one of whom the younger son asks for his share of the estate. Now, this demand doesn't translate well. Uh, You know, I find find language so intriguing in part because of how attached to culture it is. There are phrases, there are idioms, there are expressions in every language that lose flavor and they lose color when they're translated to different languages. Um, I've heard conversational American is one of the, the most difficult languages to master because we have so many things that don't translate literally, right? Um, it's a piece of cake, bury the hatchet, I could eat a horse, right? If you, if you think if you're just like learning English, like what are you guys talking about? All this to make the point, to, to us, the demand of this younger son, it may sound like, you know, like, hey, pops, I, I'd like to receive now the money I'm supposed to, re- to inherit from you someday in the future. But to Jesus' listeners, this request was packed with offense. In order for the father to give his son half of the estate, it meant, just think of this, half of the property had to be sold. Think about that for a moment. He's asking his father, I want you to sell everything you own. Half your land, half your possessions, half your animals, half the food. Sell, sell half of all of it, Dad, because I want the cash right now. And remember your, your savings account, too. Like, check, make sure you take half of that, too. And to compound this inconvenience, there's, there's more than just a thirst for cash here that's communicated. This is a relational cut. In this culture, in order for sons to receive their blessing, the father had to die. The younger son said, give me my share, but what he said was, Father, you're as good as dead to me. Jesus' audience would have been appalled by this story. The notion that a son would demand his inheritance before his his father's death is outlandish. It's inexcusable. This did not happen. And then to the enormous surprise of Jesus' listeners, this crazy father actually gives the son what he asks for. This is outrageous. Jesus continues, The son goes off to a distant country. Again, this is packed with meaning. He's not just saying he wanted to travel the world. You know, I graduated college. I don't have a job yet. I still got six months before I got to pay off my student loan, so I'm going to backpack through Europe. That's not what's happening right here. Jesus' story is about a son cutting ties with his family. He's He's abandoning a way of life that has been passed down from generation to generation before him. It's a betrayal of tradition. It's a betrayal of lineage and legacy. He's saying, I'm done with you, family. I'm off to do my own thing. I'm leaving home. And he takes off. He leaves the protection. He leaves the care of his good father. He lives as though he does not have a home, looking anywhere but home for home. And he very quickly finds himself scraping the bottom of the barrel. He spent his entire savings on sensual living, and now he's hanging out with the pigs, wanting to eat their food. And he asks himself, don't my father's servants even have it better than I do right now? He had hoped to find a place where he would be accepted, where he would be loved, but he soon discovered the world apart from his father's house will love him only as long as he can offer it something. 
He was now nothing to no one. He was lost, and his lostness brought him to his senses. I need to go home. I need to go back to my father's house. But do you notice how he does it? I'm going to head back home, and I'm going to tell my father I've sinned against him and ask him if I could be one of his hired servants. He believes that the father's goodwill, he believes that his father's heart is going to need an explanation to be received. That is, his father's love is conditional like the rest of the world he just encountered. So he diminishes himself below his true identity. I'm I'm not even going to ask to be a son anymore. I'm just going to be a servant to him. And all the while, his father is sitting at home waiting for his treasured son to return, wanting to tell him, there's nothing you could ever do that would take away your sonship. You're completely mine. You're always mine. Not not just because of how well you perform, because my love for you is, is wild beyond what you could imagine. And Jesus says the father sees his son a ways off, and he runs to embrace him. Again, preposterous. Jesus, fathers don't run in this day. This is a childish action. It's immature. This is a culture of honor. This is a culture of respect. A father would never run like a child, especially not to a child who just abused his love. But this father, oh, this father, he's been waiting. He's been longing for his son's return. The father sprints to his son. He throws his arms around him. He kisses him. He cuts him off before he can finish his explanation, before he can finish his excuse. Throw a robe around him. Give him a ring. Don't throw the ring on. I just thought of that right now. I don't know. Sandals for his feet. Get the fattened calf. Kill it. There's a feast that's about to go down. What is this crazy father doing? He's throwing a party. He's about to throw a block party. Because his lost son is home. He's going to lavish love on his kid. How unbelievably audacious of this father. What love. The story's not done yet, though. You see, while, while this story is often titled the parable of the lost son, if you have your Bible, it might even have the heading, the parable of the lost son. It's not just a story about one lost son. It's a story about two lost sons. The younger son is obviously lost. He's he's immature, he's entitled, he's foolish. What he did was wrong. Everybody knew it, including himself. It's a classic human failure, classic repentance coming back home. It's a homecoming story. It's a little more difficult, a little more nuanced to see how the lost son is also the older son. It's difficult, it's challenging to to notice how, how lost the older son is because he was the good son. He did all the right things. He was obedient. People probably respected him, admired him. He was probably a model son outwardly, no faults. But when his father throws a party after the rebellious younger son returns, his nasty side comes out. So much so that he refused to even go into the party. His father comes out to plead with him, come join the celebration, my son. But the son's cry ensues, I've slaved for you. Always obedient, ruthlessly faithful, yet you never even gave me a goat party. Why don't I get thanked? Why don't I get appreciated? Where's my honor? Where's my respect? In the older son's complaint, do you hear how obedience to his father has become a burden? How service to his father has become slavery? 
And then this, anger, has, anger towards his brother, it changed how he viewed his dad. The father, he responds, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. What are you talking about? We're celebrating because your lost brother is home. Come celebrate with me. In the story, Jesus is, is describing this outlandish love of a father for his kids. And here's what he's asking the older son to swallow. The father's audacious generosity doesn't need to be explained to you. Our heavenly father is really gracious. Jesus says he's so gracious. He's so audaciously gracious that it's worth celebrating. And you get a choice. Do you want to mope? Do you want to complain about how much love another sibling is receiving? Or do you want to join the party? The prodigal story is not a a story about a good son and an evil son. It's a story about two lost sons because the only good one in this story is the father. He runs out to meet, he actually runs out to meet both sons. And the younger brother allowed himself to be loved. He allows himself to be welcomed home from his lostness. But the older brother can't even move past his own anger. He can't even grow beyond his own narcissism to let the father heal him too. The older brother syndrome is one of comparison. It's one of rivalry. It's one of competition. But in the father's love, in the father's home, there's no competition. We're on the same team. We're on the same side. We bleed the same blood because we all bear the image of the divine. We're all children of a a benevolent heavenly father. And the older son will stay lost as as long as he keeps comparing himself up against his brother. And as long as he's lost, his brother will, will appear more loved than he is. In fact, when he's lost, he can't even view his brother as family anymore. He calls him your son. Outside of God's home, brothers, sisters, parents, friends, strangers, bosses, baristas, you name it, they become enemies. They become our competition. But the older son, he's called to trust, to trust that the father loves him and wants him home just as much as every other son. It's the two lost sons. And maybe you identify with the young son today, the younger son. You've walked away from God, our generous father. Whether it was a a subtle, slow drift from his home or this aggressive, giant middle finger to him. And you've attempted to find home outside the only place where you're truly home. And if your heart's warming to this message this morning, know that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. That there's nothing you can do to redeem yourself or excuse your mistakes. The only thing necessary for your redemption is to walk back home to your heavenly father and let yourself be loved by him. His grace is bigger and grander than you can imagine. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you have done that can change the way he feels about you. Paul comes along later and says there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God. He loves you right now as much as he ever has and as much as he ever will. And I believe that if God showed up in your room tonight physically and looked you in the face and he knew every skeleton in your closet and he knew all of your hidden agendas and all your dark desires and all the things that you hate most about yourself and all the things that you're most ashamed of about yourself, if he looked you in the face, you would feel radically accepted and forgiven. You don't have to change. You don't have to grow. You don't clean yourself up to be home. 
None of that. You're just wildly accepted. You don't need more spiritual insight. You don't need more spiritual maturity. The most urgent need in your life is to trust that you have been loved, that you have been accepted as you are, not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be. This is Jesus' message. That the Heavenly Father looks at you today and says, more pleasing to me than all of your prayers, all of your best efforts, is that you would believe that I love you. That you are my beloved son, that you are my beloved daughter. He's waiting for you to get out of the pig pen to stop trying to find his love in a world that will leave you empty. To come home. Because as long as you're looking for his love away from home, like the younger son, you will remain lost. And then maybe you identify more with the older son. Maybe you haven't really walked away from God, but your love doesn't much resemble the father's love anymore. We have the tendency to get jealous when others are doing well and we're not. When others grow beyond us, when they excel beyond us, when others get the attention we're not getting. You know, when you really wanted that promotion at work and that jerk. Who, by the way, you're actually far more talented than. They get the promotion. Why is it so hard for us to celebrate them? Do we really believe that passive aggression or maybe just aggression is going to make the world a better place? What if you took him or her out for a drink after work? Not pseudo-celebration. I'm talking like real celebration with him or her. Real celebration of him or her. It's so awesome you got that promotion. You're going to crush it. I believe in you. Do we really believe that dishonoring them because of our jealousy is going to help anyone, including us? We're invited to join the party. When you feel like you're picked last for everything, to celebrate with the ones picked first. To celebrate when the celebration is not about you. To joy with those and for those receiving things you don't have. It's like we're the little kid that can't show up to a birthday party and celebrate the one whose birthday it is. Who wants to open all the presents and make it about them. We just kind of never grow out of that. That little piece of us stays with us. We're called to celebrate with those of whom you could be envious because the Father celebrates them. The Father's throwing parties and he beckons you. Join me. My love and celebration is not a limited resource. My love is big enough, not just for everyone else, but for you as well. Whether you identify more with the younger son or the, young, or the older son, this audacious father calls you home to him today. It's very important we get this. You did not choose God. He chose you. From all eternity, you've been engraved on his palm before you were touched or thought of by another, by another human being. God was, he was putting you together in secret. He was forming you. Before your name was known, he was, we, he was weaving your soul together in your mother's womb. So what we learn from Jesus is that following him is not an attempt to know God or find God or love God, but to be found by him, to be known by him, to be loved by him. And whether you're lost because you've run away from home or you've been lost at home, lost in, lost makes, lostness makes you question your belovedness. The real sin is denying God's first love for you to ignore your original beauty because without first claiming that love, 
of the Father for you, you will embark on a destructive journey, trying to find home in damaging places with belittling people, when what you've been looking for all along is found where you've already been accepted. Because you're already home. The Father's madly searching for you. He's ruthlessly in love with you, and he will not stop searching for your heart. And this is Jesus' life. His preaching, it all had one aim. It was to reveal the furious and limitless love of God for you and to show the way back home to that love. This is what Jesus' life was all about. Now, it's easy to miss the conclusion of this story. For, the long, for a long time, I thought the ultimate call, the ultimate goal was to return home to the Father. But there is a call greater than just returning home. It's to become the Father in the story. The great invitation is to become the Father, welcoming lost ones home and inviting others to the celebration. I want to say that again. The great invitation is to become the Father, welcoming lost ones home and inviting others to the celebration. But our flesh, it resists this, doesn't it? Our destructive tendencies, it it draws us into this viciousness of entitlement. I don't think entitlement is limited to millennials. I think it's a human thing. I think it's human nature. And here's our default setting because of sin. We quickly move from gratitude to expectation to entitlement. We swiftly move through it. Gratitude, expectation, entitlement. And this is what Jesus' story is talking about, entitlement. Both sons felt entitled. The younger son, he felt entitled to his share. The older son felt entitled to recognition. I bet both sons at one point were thankful. Geez, the lives that we get to live All that our Father provides for us, the experiences, the opportunities, the relationships. And it's all because we're under our our Father's good name, because we're sons of our Father. And at some point, that morphs into expectation. Of course, yeah, these great blessings that come with being part of the family. Yeah, of course we get access to all of this. Then, Then the entitlement sneaks in. Of course, the Father really owes us for all that we have to put up with to be a part of his family? This is us. It's us. Gratitude to expectation to entitlement, and it is a slippery slope. There's, a, there's an old proverb that says, he who does not thank for little will not thank for much. When we lose sight of home, we lose sight of Gratitude. Again, this is a story of two lost sons. And the quickest way to ensure your lostness is to run away from gratitude. Run away from gratitude, go right through expectation, and set up camp in entitlement. To come home, we enter through the gate of gratitude. And here's what I'm hoping you walk away with today. is that Jesus invites us beyond our self-righteous entitlement back through gratitude. And not to stop there, but to keep going all the way into throwing parties for others. Figuratively, figuratively and maybe literally too. Church, there's a party going on and you're invited. And it's your choice on whether you want to join the celebration or be too caught up in your own pride and your own anger and your own lostness to celebrate the good things God is doing in those around you. The hands that forgive the hands that heal and love and celebrate, 
the lost ones in the story, they must become our hands. And you will remain spiritually immature as long as the father in this story is someone else. The father in the story must become your story. To grieve for the lost as he does, to grieve, to grieve for the lost ones as he does, to forgive, to welcome home, to be generous with our stuff as the father is generous. And as the father, you're no longer called to simply come home, but to remain at the house so that other lost sons and daughters can come home and find refuge through you. This is a call to selflessness. To leave your care up to God. To leave the care of yourself up to God. And to actively take part in the redemption of those around you. Grieving for them, offering them forgiveness, offering them generosity, offering them celebration. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to go into a small time of response to what God's doing in our hearts. I want to invite up two of our leaders for prayer as well. Maybe maybe you need this song sung over you. Maybe you just need to sit in your seat and receive. Maybe you need to pray this song out. Maybe you need someone to stand with you and join with you in prayer for what God's doing in your heart. If you're lost today and you need to come home, can I encourage you? Grace, grace, grace is waiting for you today. No matter how screwed up you think you are, no matter how irredeemable you think you are, your Father is waiting with open arms for you to come home and you will never lose your belovedness as his son or as his daughter. Never. Now, you may not know what that journey home looks like. That's okay. If you need someone to talk with about that or pray with about that, I would love to. I know some of our leaders would love to. But it requires the first step, that courageous first step to turn home, to turn away from life apart from God the Father and begin the journey back home to his embrace. There's a party going on. And it's your choice on whether or not you'll be there. Whether you'll remain outside the house or if you're going to be the first one to offer up a toast. And I pray for you today that you would have grace to join the party. So God, that's what we we ask. We invite you into our hearts again. We turn from our ways that are destructive and selfish. And we turn our face back to you the only place that we're home, the only place that we're fully accepted, not for how we contribute, but because we are yours. So we claim that. We claim that identity today, God, as divine children, beloved sons and daughters of you, our Heavenly Father. And I pray that you would help us to take steps through gratitude to becoming like you who welcomes people home who throws parties for others. So we pray for grace and faith to be able to step in that direction, God. And we say yes to all that you're doing in our hearts.